When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 5, Review of the Pakistan-Australia Test Series with Daniel Rasool and Bharat Sundarisan. So I'm lucky to have two brilliant guests with me today. Daniel is the sub-editor for ESPN Cricket Info, writing on Pakistani cricket. And Bharat is an Australian-based cricket writer who writes for CrickBuzz. He is also the author of The Dhoni Touch, unraveling the enigma that is Mahindra Singh Dhoni. Daniel and Bharat, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to review the Pakistan Australia Test Series with me. Uh, how are you both doing? Uh, I'm supposed to go first. <laughs> You're the guest, right? In Pakistan, at least. So I go ahead. am the guest. Yeah, considering like you are not even in Pakistan, that exactly makes me the. Uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's uh, great. I'm doing great. Uh, I had a one of my many meals uh, away from the five-star hotel that we're staying in uh, a couple of days ago and nice. I'm very happy to report that my insides are back uh, <laughs> uh, to being like really fortified and, <laughs> and my gut is back to being a garbage dump so because like you know whatever went in stayed in so which is a good sign that is excellent news that is how every podcast should start with uh, you know where does your gut stand at the absolutely, moment absolutely yeah <laughs> how about you Daniel how's your gut doing or how's your stomach lining um, well, I live in Pakistan, so yeah, my, my gut's fine. The only thing I will say, <laughs> the only thing I will say, try to get on the offensive early, is I wasn't invited to this lunch or dinner that Bharat went to. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I didn't have the chance to test my gut there. But other than that, <laughs> I, yeah, it's 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 really good series because yeah, even though technically I'm not traveling, I've outside of my own country, I've been to Karachi and Islam and Fiji to cover the series. But yeah, there's obviously a different sense and vibe to Australia visiting. So even though it's it's been a series where I've stayed in Pakistan, it's almost felt like an international tour in profile. So in that mm-hmm. sense, this has, this has been uh, a new experience for me. The hope, the hope obviously is that, uh, you know, as more and more teams start visiting, then this become, becomes more routine than it feels right now. Yeah, that's great. I have some questions for both of you on on the peculiarity or the, or not the peculiarity, but the, his, the, the nature of this particular tour and tours in general. So, um, you know, I, I will be asking you both about that. Um, now, going from something a little bit more, you know, you two seem really excited. So let me sort of pour some water over this excitement very early by asking you about the ODI match that we just had yesterday and the tour just very quickly. I know you both are really excited about the white ball tour. Uh, you, you both made that very clear. <laughs> um, maybe I'll start with you, Bharat. What did you think about the first ODI yesterday? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I wanted it to end after the first 10 minutes, but, uh, you know, the whole series. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, uh, 50 over cricket around the world has become slightly uh, tedious to cover, I'll be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, look, uh, our job is to, you know, watch cricket and write uh, on cricket. So we shouldn't be complaining. Nothing should yeah. be tedious. <laughs> but I think it, it's just because uh, even though they, now they have this World Cup league and uh, you know, you can quote it in whatever, or you can use it in whatever quote you want, but it still does fight for relevance, especially after the hype of the Test Series, uh, you know, uh, and leading into this one-day series, you could feel that the it just fizzled out, like the energy. Maybe, like, you know, it's just a case of people were just so up for the Test that people got a little fatigued as well. Absolutely. Uh, even though I wasn't here for the first Test, like, obviously, that was going to be the most boring Test because I wasn't around. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think uh, that played a lot into how uh, we kind of uh, accepted what happened yesterday. Uh, having said that, if you uh, look at it just... Uh, you know, independently, I thought it was mm-hmm. a pretty decent ODI. Uh, you know, we saw Travis Head uh, play his, uh, you know, blaze away in the first 20, 22, 23 overs. Absolutely. Uh, and I just saw he was getting a massage uh, sometime earlier in the hotel. Uh, so, you know, he earned his massage. <laughs> it was a long massage. Uh, but, uh, you know, after that, uh, it just became uh, a 50 over game from, you know, almost 10, 15 years ago. Like, you know, where Australia struggled in the middle overs to hit boundaries. There were mm-hmm. a lot of singles. And eventually mm-hmm. they got sort of uh, over the line, got to 300 and what, 13 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Pakistan, you know, uh, we used to see this so often in the 90s when a top order bat- batsman or batter would get a get a 100. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Pakistan or India or anyone in particular. Just generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would bat till the end, but then, you know, it wouldn't be enough because he wouldn't get enough support. So in a way, it felt like a throwback. And uh, one thing you do learn very early by having me on a podcast is I always have a final word, the final word on most things. So to go back to what Daniel said about not being invited for dinner, if you've already, uh, you know, heard a bit of Daniel and me, I think I sound more Pakistani than he does. I don't have any accent at all. So maybe that's why I mean, nobody expected his guts to be, uh, you know, strong enough to deal with the kind of food that was also on offer there. Daniel, I'm going to ask you about the ODI because I know you're excited about that as well. But uh, I was going to ask this question later, you know, a very serious question. Apparently, there's an accusation that has been made that you have not sent Bharat a dinner invite. Is What's the what's the latest on this? So I'd contest that first and foremost. I'd say, I, I'd say I, I've invited Bharat to at least three dinners. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think Bharat ha- isn't a fan of the way he's been invited he feels that some of the invitations have not been as direct as they should be and that's i mean i'm, I'm open to constructive criticism i get right <laughs> off so yes I, I i take that on the chin i think that's a learning experience for hopefully the next time Bharat is here um but yeah there, there have been one or two direct invitations which Bharat has chosen to decline because he's a busy man he gets a lot of invitations here um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make this happen before he leaves, hopefully, given that now Australia have registered, uh, or all of them have registered negative COVID tests, we, it seems the series will go on. So yeah, they, there's, there's time yet to make, make amends. So it seems like the invitation was sent, it was just bad diplomacy. So what, do you, what about you, Daniel? What did you think about the, uh, the first ODI and uh, you know, how Pakistan went, at least from my perspective, it seems like the two the ODI series is more important for Pakistan than it is for Australia. Uh, with Pakistan struggling for automatic qualification in the two, for the two thousand two twenty three World Cup. Um, 
Um, yeah, so the, the only thing I'd say is, yes, as Bharat says, um, there still is a struggle for relevance for ODI cricket because even though we have the Super League, that's not how most fans tend to view um, ODI cricket. It's still in the spectrum of how important is this particular white ball series. I still think this format would work better if you had the ODIs and white ball cricket in general before the test series, like kind of appetizer. Once mm. you have a really hard for test series, then it's just it's just really difficult to get amped for um, three uh, white ball games and then a T20 just sort of tacked onto the two um, in, in, in a way where it feels like it's a bit of an afterthought. And I think that's how this game panned out. Pakistan took a while to get set and it's around those first 10 to 15 overs that Travis Head really made hay. And Pakistan, I think, was really poor with especially their bowling and the lines they were bowling um, during the, that first power play. And it's that approach that Australia, uh, it's that approach of Travis Head that Pakistan struggled to replicate throughout their own innings. Babar and Imam, even while Babar said, I think in the press conference later, that while Babar and Imam were batting, he felt they were in a good position. I'm struggling to agree with that because even if they'd batted for another 10 to 12 overs, I think the asking rate for the low middle order is just too much to catch up to. So I think it's just Pakistan is still, they haven't played too many ODIs since the 2019 World Cup. They're just struggling to essentially cobble together a philosophy and a style of play that is relevant and works in 2022. And that's a struggle that I think will continue for some time yet on the evidence of what happened yesterday. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it feels like, you know, they get how T20 works and, you know, that format and test matches, they're sort of building something. Uh, the ODI format, it just feels like they still haven't figured out what to do um, from from my perspective as well. Um now, before we get to reviewing what happened on the pitch uh, in, in the test tour, I just wanted to begin by asking you both uh, how you think uh, things went off it. It seemed like the, the the cricket was played in really good spirit and brought a really, uh, you know, a feel good factor. Um, I'll start with you, Bharat. What did you What did you think? Um, yeah, uh, look, I, I wasn't here for the first test, but uh, you know, even before Australia and the Australian journalists even landed here, there was. Uh, this unique excitement about coming to Pakistan. Look, I've been a cricket journalist mm-hmm. for nearly 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first 10 and a half years I spent of those in India. So I really didn't get an opportunity to come come to Pakistan to cover cricket at all or even come to Pakistan at all. So mm-hmm. it's literally taken me to go move to Australia to finally get a chance to do this. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but then um, if you think about uh, just in terms of cricket, uh, how long it's been since Pakistan or Australia came to Pakistan? Literally three generations of Australian cricketers missed out uh, on you know ever coming here. Forget about mm-hmm. like you know playing a match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so even though this is not the you know the return of cricket to Pakistan, and I know you know some uh, uh, journalists and some non-Australian Pakistan uh, cricket uh, you know cricket people who were pretty upset about how this series got more hype than say when South Africa or West Indies or Sri Lanka came here because they Absolutely. technically opened the doors before Australia finally landed. But mm-hmm. I mean, you, it, it's just fair in its own sense, but you can't take away from the fact that Australia is a cricketing superpower, whether you like it or not, alongside mm-hmm. an India or an England. Uh, so their arrival was always going to create more of a buzz. And also the fact, like I said, they're coming after 1998. So India made two tours, uh, two uh, test tours to uh, Australia, uh, to Pakistan uh, in that period, right? Like in that 24 years. So uh, it just tells you how, you know, basically the last century when they last came. So uh, that was always going to happen. Um, and also you can't forget that Australia are reluctant tourists. You know, they've called off three 
straight Bangladesh tours. Uh, they, you know, backed out of a South Africa tour during COVID. Uh, and there have been so many other tours. I mean, they, they've not traveled at all. I mean, you know, this uh, was your first away series uh, since the ashes of 2019. Which is which is almost a year before the pandemic began. So uh, you know it, it tells. So if when you consider it in that sense, um, I do understand why people were so excited about this uh, tour, or just uh, felt like this was the real you know return of Test cricket to to Pakistan. Um, and, and I guess like you know I'm sure we'll talk about each Test match in detail. Uh, uh, coming to Lahore felt like you know that's when for me it felt like yeah I mean now we're back to sort of like the cycle is complete, right? I mean, this is where the, the, the whole terror attack happened. And, you know, that's what led to uh, international cricket being moved away from Pakistan. So w- when we played the test match here, or we in the sense we covered the test match here, that's when for me it felt like, yeah, now it's well and truly back. Uh, and I mean, apart from that, the hospitality of Pakistan, uh, for me, it's not something unique. I know some of my colleagues have been um, completely overawed or overwhelmed by it. But, like, you know, I'm from the subcontinent. Yeah, we are hospitable exactly, people. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, in different parts of India, like we might not be the most hospitable in the southern part of the country where I come from. But North India is just like Pakistan, right? Like, you know, everything is laid out on a platter for you, which is what has happened here. Uh, so those things like, uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't really impact me to the same extent for obvious reasons. Uh, but just the joy, I think, on people's faces, and I don't mean Daniel and the journalists, and I'm being serious here, but just generally when you speak to uh, people on the street, uh, and I've been doing a lot of that, and to hear them uh, talk about what this means to them, uh, kind of, you know, kind of puts this whole thing into context. Thanks, Bharat. Um, Daniel, what about you? Did it um, did it surprise you, the sort of the spirit in which the the cricket was played and how things went off it as well? Um, to some extent. So we've always been in these 24, 23 to 24 years that Australia haven't been in Pakistan. That doesn't mean Pakistanis haven't watched the way Australia play cricket. And I mm-hmm. think I, I, I think that means uh, that for a lot of Pakistanis, one of the emotions that they felt around Australia was, of course, admiration. And I think we'll get to this. We can see that in the way that the current PCB uh, chairman, Ramiz Raja, talks about Australia. He's just he's completely just he, he thinks copying the way Australia go about their cricket will put Pakistan on the right course. And we can talk about what we can talk about whether that's true. He has this. There, there's some merit to that. But the other thing about Australia is people in Pakistan. Um, maybe I'm speaking from personal experience. Also loved to hate Australia because not just because they won, but just because of the way they went about it at times. We um, I think I think we yeah, we just uh, finished watching that Shane Warne memorial. And yes, obviously, um, Shane Warne is one of the most famous cricketers of all time. But yeah, I think I think it it would be it would be remiss not to mention that he was also extremely he could be extremely unlikable if you were competing against him. And that was part of the persona that Australia mm-hmm. had, had adopted for about for a good ten years when they were nigh on invincible basically. So in mm-hmm. that sense, the fact that this Australia turned up and they were so friendly, so disarming, so charming, essentially, or almost, both on and off the pitch. This was a side to, of Australia that Pakistan haven't seen too often. Um, I'm still not sure whether or whether it's it, it's a side that I want to see, or to Australia that I want to see in the long run. I think 
I, I think it's almost nicer to have that clash of personalities when Australia visit. I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy Shaheen Afridi shaking hands with David Warner when he dismissed him. I was thinking about that. Yeah. yeah, for a half century, he hadn't scored 200. And yeah, I, I, I think we take away that sort of, to use the cliche, that aggression from fast bowlers at our peril. We don't, we don't <laughs> want to wish it away. But yeah, I, 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 th- I don't think this will last for too long. But for this tour, what has happened, I think, is fairly unique, yes. Um, Bharat, uh, you know, something I feel that is peculiar, you know, about a bilateral test series and I think has been historically um, has been that it all that, that the, these series are about cricket, but they also have a, you know, diplomatic or political function. Um, you know, what do you think about that and how this tour fits into that? Uh, especially this tour. I mean, uh, the significance we spoke about, uh, you know, now Australia coming here uh, and, you know, after this long is, is a message to the rest of the cricket world that, uh, it, you know, in a way, it's like if we can do this, like, you know, we being uh, historically the reluctant tourists, if we can come here and not just like, you know, this wasn't one of those tours which was played over just one week, right, where they played three one days in the in the same city like they are now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just like, you know, went off, uh, you know, almost as a token uh, you know, it, 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 would have, it would have felt like uh, just like, you know, a token visit. But the mm-hmm. fact that they've already been here for what, nearly five weeks and they still have another week to go. They're not leaving for, uh, I think, before Wednesday. Uh, they tell you that it was a full-fledged tour and also in you know, a message to the, uh, like I said earlier, to the rest of the cricket world that, look, you can come. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yes, there, you know, uh, there will be talk of security threats and uh, other things, which happens in this part of the world. It's not just uh, Pakistan thing. It'll happen in India. And it's mm-hmm. not like they don't... Uh, I, I don't know whether, uh, you know, the BCCI or the PCB will send uh, their security team to on a tour to Australia or New Zealand to, you know, do a recce. But <laughs> the Australian team's coming to this part of the world. They, that's It's going to happen. Like, you know, it's just how the world works, yeah. uh, which goes well beyond cricket. Um, so in that sense, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, uh, imp- uh, I'm very happy that uh, so far, it's been incident-free, uh, uh, more or less. Um, COVID ish- issues are different. I mean, you know, that's the new beast we're fighting as a world, as you like, you know, as, as humanity really. But uh, at least in terms of uh, you know uh, other issues of the field, they've been taken care of so so well. Uh, and you can see, I mean, it can uh, be slightly. Uh, uh, uh how do i put it like uh, yeah it can be a little overwhelming when you see so many people with guns around you uh, <laughs> like for me i'll tell you to be honest the most uncomfortable i've felt is uh when uh, we were taken to uh, a spot in near the karachi hotel to do uh interviews with uh, mitch swepson and uh, ashton agar mm-hmm. uh, before the second test uh, and so to get to that spot, uh, like I mean, we were socially distant and quite far away from the players, but to be taken to that spot, there were like six uh, armed, like, you know, military personnel around us and we were six of us in the middle. That's the only time I felt a little like, you know, okay, wow, like, you know, what is happening here? Like, you know, you're not used to it, right? It's, and it's different for, say, an Australian journalist or, uh, or like someone from like an Australian because mm-hmm. they're not used to any of this. I'm not saying I, I have my own security in India. I mean, I'm big enough to have that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know. To be honest, at least you're used to, like, you know, politicians ha- having that kind of security detail. So, but just being in, the, in that circle, honestly, was it felt a little, uh, uh, I, I felt a little suffocating, 
for sure uh, you know so but apart from those things uh, it's been a smooth ride uh, you know there have been some uh, like i said at the start of your podcast uh, it's been a test for the guts it's been challenged uh, a lot of people's immunity has been challenged uh but apart from all that uh you know and no, i'm not talking just journalists i mean even some of the players like you know they played with uh an upset tummy here or there uh so usman khwaja spoke about being having been very sick when he made that 90 on day 1 in lahore so things like that they've had to battle but apart from that and i guess mm-hmm. apart from the usual boredom of this being stuck in your hotel uh, yeah. for them that is uh, i think it's been a pretty smooth tour which is what ramiz raja the pcb and cricket australia would have hoped for and thankfully for their sake for now it's been that way yeah hopefully it stays that way too um daniel speaking of domestic politics uh, will the series be seen as a pr victory for ramiz or will the criticism about the pitches and um you know the pakistani loss dampen the positivity for him uh, and the pcb it's it's a bit of a mixed bag isn't it because with ramiz i think one of the decisions that he seemed to take quite early was he he tried to project um pakistan's success almost to some extent as a vindication of his tenure as chairman so which is a dangerous mm-hmm. game which is a dangerous game to play in pakistan because obviously you can tr- you you can look good you can look good when um, pakistan are beating india at the world t20 they're making the semi finals and but but then what happens mm-hmm. suddenly mm-hmm. but the, but then what happens suddenly is um when pakistan's form turns if you're taking credit when they're doing very well then a lot of the blame begins the fingers begin to get start pointing your way when they're not doing so well and that's and that's where the issue comes in because while australia touring here and it's gone off almost without a hitch you mentioned domestic politics the only thing that's i guess kind of impacted the series is the fact that the odis had to be shifted out of islamabad because of non cricketing domestic politics and that's where yeah th- yeah that's where the series i think in pakistan feels slightly less relevant because for the first for the three tests this was the biggest story in the country australia were visiting for uh, after 23 24 years but now we talk about <laughs> imran khan and you know his political survival and that's the big story and and for the first time sport has been relegated to the back page again which in maybe isn't a bad thing that's where sport belongs after all but yeah so that's 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 the other that's the only way i think that the series perhaps hasn't gone completely uh without a hitch but in terms of ramiz raja yeah the pitch is 100% um there's been uh there's been criticism that he, uh J- the chairman has taken personally and he's as you see you've seen you've seen videos where he's tried to defend himself at times because and that that shows that every aspect of the way pakistan cricket goes he feels reflects on him either well or poorly and yeah that's 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 a big burden to bear and he's bearing it right now yeah yeah you know i'm glad you mentioned the domestic political situation because that's such an important aspect of the story with you know um it affecting cricket as well um now i know i'm not the only one who thinks you two have been writing some amazing articles throughout this tour uh i know we often think of players lifting their game for you know a big series uh but i'm wondering if it works for journalists as well um you know being a professional journalist covering cricket i'm assuming writing reports can sometimes feel like a chore um maybe i'll start with you uh daniel um you principally cover pakistani cricket um has it felt different covering this tour um compared to the ones before 
Um, there's, been, there's been a bit of pressure, obviously. So when Australia come and you know it's a big series and more people than normal will be perhaps reading what you write. And so there's, there's an added pressure to that too. Uh, because sometimes if you... That's, that's the thing with cricket writing, uh, right? If you... I'm not saying this is a more important job. It's actually a less important job than most. But mm-hmm. what, what you can't do sometimes is go through the motion. So if I'm having a day where I don't feel like I can do a particularly good job, what I can't do is just go through the motions and produce an average piece because that piece, piece I will feel will be tied to me forever. There's a link there that reflects the kind of work yeah. that I did on that day. So you just have to just dig deep into your reserves of what little creativity you have. I mean, unless you're like Parath, who seems to have a limitless amount, I actually have to just try and ration it through a series. Um, <laughs> so, so, so in that sense, yeah, sometimes I feel, I, I, you, you know when you've done a better job than other days, sometimes, some days you feel you've written a slightly better piece than others. I, I, I have, I mean, you talk about raising your game. I, I, think, I think I've tried to be a little more insightful and give off the impression that me being at the venue can lend maybe a greater bit of color to a, a piece of writing than if I was just covering it, covering this off TV. So that's that's the one thing that I've tried to continue to focus on and to try and mm-hmm. pick up those little nuggets that I can pass through to anyone who reads my pieces. That's that's the only thing I feel where I've tried to be consistent across the month. No, your writing has been absolutely excellent, as well as Bharat. Uh, you know, your writing has been amazing too. This this whole series. Uh, what do you think about this, Bharat? You know, something I'm wondering is whether there are some tours that just seem to provide richer material to writers than others. Uh, how has covering this tour felt for you? I know you've covered other big series as well. Uh, you know, the India Australia series, for instance. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've also been doing it for so long now. I feel like an old man. I'm not that old, but. Uh... <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, my uh, approach to cricket journalism is, uh, has always been different. I don't honestly, obviously, like any other professional, I want, uh, I have a lot of professional pride. So I do want to, you know, do the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, like uh, uh, the whole, uh, I, I have met a lot of journalists who do focus on lifting their game. And Daniel is right. Like, you know, it also depends on... Uh, uh, you know, uh, how you view it, like, you know, what you want out of a series, like mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess like uh, my approach always has been where if something, uh, if I find something interesting, I just go with it and, and I write it like, you know, and because uh, it's it's one of those professions, right? Very few professions where uh, if tomorrow, like, you know, I had to make a presentation of what, what I've achieved in, in my profession, I just have to send them a link, right? Like, you know, with all my articles, I don't have to carry like a big folder and tell people what I've done. That's a good point. Yeah. So there are pros and cons to that, which also basically means that you can't bullshit anyone. Like, so you are, (laughs) as, as they say, the old adage and which is true, it's a cliche, but it is true. You are only as good as your last story. Right. And especially I've seen uh, the media industry change, even from 2008, when I started to now, Mm -hmm. which is not that long ago, Mm -hmm. where it's so much more these days, people focus on how much uh, traction uh, a story gets or a piece gets on social media as compared to their original platforms, whether it's Crick Info for Daniel or Crick Buzz for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's changed. So uh, there are so many ways of rating or grading your own work. Uh, And I'm the first one to tell you, I don't indulge in it uh, because it's, you know, you can't win. Like, you know, you can't control how, like in any creative art, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're writing a song uh, or you're, like you know creating a painting 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you are only in control of what you can do. I'm sorry, I'm sounding so philosophical, but no, no, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, that you can only control that. Like you know, how people respond to it, whether people find it interesting or not, I can't control. So what I have always tried to do is, I take what I find interesting and most importantly, more than interesting, uh, relevant. And you can get carried away in a series like this, where, uh, like, like Daniel said, you think that oh man, but like I have to, my writing has to match up to the enormity of this event. Yeah, uh, I mean. If you cover enough India-Pakistan matches at ICC events, uh, very soon you'll realize there's no point of doing that. Because, <laughs> you know, think about it, right? Like there's no like or, or the last India or last seven or eight India-Pakistan games, uh, and I'm talking about not the match itself, but the build-up, right? Like you have to. There mm-hmm. is. It's all like you've literally squeezed the lemon dry. Like how many times can you say this is the uh, mother of all battles <laughs> yeah. and all that nonsense, right? It's not really. Yeah, it it, it really is not. And thankfully, um, none of the World War Three cliches you see on TV. Oh my God, those! No, yeah, exactly. And TV is a different beast. I mean, they do it because they have to. Yeah. So, uh, like, you know, so after the third time you do it, you you realize. I mean, there's nothing that important with a cricket game, right? Like whether it's Pakistan or Australia opening doors to Pakistan or India winning against Australia, like you know. So this it, the narrative will come through uh, your writing anyway, right? If it is mm-hmm. a dramatic series like the last. Uh, Australia, India tour of Australia, and it kind of pains me that people always like talk of me as if that's the that's my one achievement in life. <laughs> I covered cricket for thirteen years before that, and I guess I have done a little more than that. But anyway, that's fine. Uh, but you know, I'm adding to that, then <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I was, I'm just kidding. Like so, but you know, it, it'll always come through. Like you know, and again, I I know we'll talk about the pitches and all that. Uh, and I have been in multiple press boxes around the world where you walk into a press box. That's why I try to avoid press boxes, as Daniel will tell you. I'll find a soft corner somewhere where nobody else is there. So where people are talk about, oh, it's so difficult to write today. I don't buy it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it, if, you, if you say that, that means you're not watching enough or you, you're not contextualizing what's happening enough. Like if you do, you can write about anything. I mean, even if Imam Ul-Haq has made two boring hundreds in the same match, uh, if you watch keenly enough, you should be able to write two different stories. So I've never put that much pressure on myself ever to like, you know, live up to someone else's expectation. Like, you know, I mean, it might be the Australia tour of Pakistan might be the biggest thing ever for a majority of people, but it, it isn't for me. It's just a job, right? Like I'm still watching cricket and writing. Of course, I'll put it into context where like whenever I landed in Karachi or Lahore, uh, for my own, I'm fascinated by a place I've never been to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I wrote similar pieces on Harare when I went, for example, right? Like, it's, it has nothing to do with who who is playing or where you are. It's just like, you know, you kind of tell pe- people about uh, where you are. That's pretty much. So the job of a cricket writer, especially a sports writer, more than a political writer, I always feel is to take your readers on a ride that you are on. Like, you know, you it's like your job is to tell them, look, this is what I'm watching. Uh come sit next to me and let's watch this together. I mean, if that's the philosophy you use with your writing, uh, then every day is interesting. Rather than you, like, the problem is you will put pressure on yourself if you think your job is to tell people what happened. You know what I mean? Like, you to tell people this is what happened. Because not a lot of different things happen in a game of cricket if you think about it. So it's it's always better to, to or at least it's worked for me, where I like to have fun, uh, where I'm imagining the reader sitting next to me. 
not very close of course in today's day and age <laughs> no but thank you for the insights i mean i think that's such a great point that you know for someone like me who you know wants to be at the series but is in indianapolis uh it's your writings that are you know i'm living vicariously through you in many ways so giving me a sense of place and sense of occasion really really does help and is a big part of why i'm reading you know these pieces uh because i can watch the cricket on tv but yeah you're right uh now finally getting to the cricket itself on the pitch uh let me begin by asking you know did it go as you expected maybe we can begin with you danya um in a way no obviously because um one of the things that australia don't do well they do a lot of cricket things well but one of the things they don't is travel to asia well and yes they haven't been to pakistan for as we know now more than two decades but their travels to india sri lanka bangladesh haven't really indicated that they would come here and do what they've done. They're a very good team, we know that, and we can all talk about how much how much we all love Pat Cummins and how he can't seem to put a foot wrong right now. But Australia, remember, in the last 15 years, they've come to Asia, they won three tests, lost um, 17. They, one of the wins was in Bangladesh, they lost a test there too. Um, so you don't really expect them to come to Pakistan and go through a three-match test series without losing a single one. You, we can talk about why that is. You can say, oh, maybe it was down to the pitches. But Australia have really made the running, at least in the last two tests, at times, maybe even during the first one, where Pakistan, I think, even on that fifth day, didn't want to declare and give Australia any sort of sniff at, you know, making a, ma- making a match of it. it. was an approach that Australia would never have taken, in my opinion. The sort of declaration they, um, they basically pushed through in Lahore on day four shows that. So, yeah, the fact that they've they came here and in the two live test matches, essentially, they dominated both of them. And from day one in Karachi, they seemed to have a clear game plan. So I remember a lot of journalists complaining about how dull it was on uh, the second day in Karachi when Australia weren't declaring and they weren't really, weren't even taking on the Pakistan bowlers. But they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to bat for nearly a full two days. They wanted to grind Pakistan down, get them out early on that third day and then, and then get a quick second innings in and then give Pakistan two days to bat. If they'd won that test match, which, yeah, obviously, besides, aside from that remarkable Baba, Shafiq, Rizwan, a triumvirate, they, sure, they should have, and it would have been, I think, the perfect test win and the perfect template to play test cricket in Asia and Pakistan and even Karachi specifically. Yeah, so what they've come here and what they've come here and done is hugely promising for Australia, more so than it is worrying for Pakistan, because I feel like even though Pakistan are the home side, a lot of these players, obviously, for, for, for reasons we all know, aren't quite familiar with how test cricket should go in Pakistan, especially when the surfaces have been curated in a way where they're almost firefighting rather than actually planning for the test ahead. So I think Pakistan yeah, will yeah, Pakistan will ultimately begin to develop a style of their own at home. But in this little while when they're still unsure, Australia have come here and taken full advantage. And yeah, full credit to them. Yeah, and Bharat, you know... In many ways, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask you if you, you expected this result or was it really surprising for you? Because, you know, when I think about this Australian team, um, you know, Daniel really, uh, you know, rightly points out their their record in Asia, uh, in South Asia. But um, this team, this 11 at least, feels quite, you know, well-suited to dealing with almost any condition, right? Like, you know, they in this series, they had the more experienced and better spinner. They do have some batsmen who can play spin well, you know, Osman Khwaja, uh, Smith, um, you know, Labashain, to me at least, also should be able to play spin pretty well. Um, and, you know, Stark bowls reverse swing incredibly well. What, what did you think about the, 
you know how the series went and um you know did did the result shock you um the result didn't shock me i mean we are in uh, seeing a new era of australian cricket under pat cummins they play cricket um differently and it has a lot to do with what daniel was saying earlier about um not being nice but like you know in australia they pride themselves a lot on playing hard and fair and all that so at least the playing fair bit uh, seems to really come through a lot more uh, under pat cummins it's still early days uh, and you know and it came through even on really hard days when australia weren't happy right like you know there were things that weren't going their way they still held it together uh, unlike in the past like you know in that series against india where they uh, when india went to australia last and uh, you know when they had a full strength squad they towards the end you could see the stress on them like they they were looked like a beaten side they that never happened here uh, but uh, as a playing 11 i think there were a lot of unknowns about this australian team uh, usman khawaja to start with uh, you know opening he was kind of pushed into that position yes he got those 200 in sydney uh, but historically if you see his career he was always left out of tours of the subcontinent or they would be bought and never played because they never trusted his uh, game against spin he mm-hmm. yes he played uh, that remarkable knock in the uae in, in 2018 that's right um, but uh, you know that that was on a flattish pitch but that was also to, towards the end of that part of his career like you know his career didn't last too long and he might not even have been been in that side if smith and warner were around if you think about it so there were question marks about his uh, technique against spin so manas has never played test cricket in the subcontinent Mm-hmm. uh you know uh, so we didn't know how he was going to go he is the num- he was the number one ra- ranked batter i still think he still is so there there were those question mark question marks and also about nathan line right like so except uh, he, he wasn't used much during the ashes he bowled beautifully in adelaide but uh you know the last two times india went to australia they they completely sorted him out so mm-hmm. to like the so there was that aspect as well like will he be able to go out overseas and uh you know bowl teams out i mean he couldn't till mm-hmm. that last day in lahore so uh, that that also hung over their heads and then also then like how do you how does a fast bowling captain deal with you know captaining is our leading side on really flat pitches which is what you expect from pakistan i wasn't like i know a lot of people made a big hue and cry about rawal pindi i still believe there is nothing wrong with what pakistan did i mean if you are uh, because if we look at the original schedule uh, schedule the first test wasn't That's supposed because to be you didn't have to sit through it parat uh, <laughs> yeah i mean like i was chilling at uh, home fighting for my visa but like yeah it was <laughs> you know the fact is that again like it might have been a dreary boring test match but what you can't blame pakistan for what they did like you know you don't want to give australia the home adva- the advantage like in the first test like just when they are coming here after so many years mm-hmm. did they go to the other extreme they did i mean 2017 when australia toured india last so their last subcontinental tour um india wanted to produce a pitch in pune the first test which would have ensured that the match would finish early and their bowlers get a bit of a rest because it came on the back of a lot of home test matches but they went to the other extreme and <laughs> made such a, a rank turner that australia beat them so i think it's very similar to what happened here like pakistan mm. wanted to neutralize the the rawalpindi pitch but they went a bit too extreme and ended up like you know creating a dead pants road uh, which is what saw that draw but the the concept is nothing new like you know teams yeah. do this all the time like i mean you don't go to australia and play a first test in sydney right that's never happened 
exactly. series don't start in Sydney. Why do they start at the Gabba? Because they want the advantage. So, I mean, uh, anyway, that aside, um, I thought it full credit to Pat Cummins and his side to, to win it in the end. Uh, because, like, you know, he kept saying that it's a long game. The, he kept saying it's a 15-day test. And it was, he never wavered from it. Like, you know, he stuck to it. He said, mm-hmm. before Australia even left, he said, you have to play the long game. Um, there will be times when you have to score at 2-0 and over, 3-0. and over. And they did it perfectly in Karachi as well, right? They should have won it. I mean, it took something um, the world has never seen from Pakistan to save that test. Uh, but that also told you that Australia were doing everything right. It will just take yeah. another opportunity for them to be in the same position. You knew they were going to win. And that's what happened here in Lahore, uh, you know, on the final day. So the mm-hmm. result overall didn't uh, surprise me. But the fact that Australia stuck at, like, you know, stuck to it or like kept at it for this long and this Australian side, like this is not the great Australian side of, of yore, right? So to see them do that is a great sign for Australian cricket, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's I the the style of cricket we saw overall from both sides didn't surprise me. But that's what you expect in Pakistan, a hard grind, and we got that. And mm-hmm. I really thought it was a it was a fun test series to cover and watch uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same same for me. Um, and Danya, you know, we aren't broadcasters working for the PCB, so we don't have to call the pitches, quote-unquote, batting-friendly. Um, you know, what did you think about the pitches and, uh, you know, what Bharat was just talking about in terms of uh, Pakistan's strategy? Well, um, I can't improve on what Michael Kasperowitz said, and I'll just call them beautiful batting surfaces to start off. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, well, it's... It, it's, it's so obvious um, that it almost doesn't need to be said. So, yeah, the first test, uh, I mean, even the ICC came out and said that was a below average surface, which is which is fair enough. So sometimes I, I think one of the things that the PCB perhaps needs to get comfortable with is, and I think they did that well, actually, after, um, uh, after the below average rating came out. They knew what they were doing. They prepared a pitch to essentially uh, take that first test out of play make it a two-test mm-hmm. series, make sure you get a draw. Mm-hmm. And so when that below-average rating came about, um, the BCB just said, yeah, we, uh, we, accept, we accept these findings and we have no further comment to make. So, yeah, which, which, tells me, which tells me, obviously, that they were expecting that that would happen and they decided that they were going to take that on the chin. What happened after, I don't think the other two pitches were especially terrible, although, of course, I think, I think we have to remember in Lahore, it took a, a fairly brave uh, and, well, courageous a declaration from a young captain in Pat Cummins to make that the interesting test that it ended up being. Because I don't think the pitch was getting us to that finish. I think Australia kind of forced us there. In, in general, I think the only thing that I haven't liked is um, uh, I think Ramiz Raja said after the first test, oh, you know, this just underscores my point about Pakistan's pitches being substandard. But if you go back and look at the South Africa test in Pindi, that was one of the best tests I've seen in Pakistan since even even before 2009, I, th- I thought that was a fantastic test match. You had you had fast bowlers taking wickets, you had spin bowlers in the game, you had the final day with South Africa chasing I think 375 and being 241 for three at one stage, and you still needed I think nine out of the ten wickets that innings fell to Shaheen Afridi and Hassan Ali, so fast bowlers. So that's the kind of that's the kind of pitch that Pindi is. Pindi isn't the representative of the pitch that they prepared um, for that first test. So that's the one thing I haven't enjo- enjoyed with. It's almost like the Pindi pitch has taken, uh, the reputation of that pitch has taken a battering almost <laughs> to defend what Pakistan did. I mean, if you if you want to do that, 
you could, I suppose, do that without um, without without essentially killing off the reputation of one of your livelier pitches. But other than that, yeah, I mean, every site prepares pitches to suit their own to uh, to, to suit their own uh, strengths. It's just that Pakistan's strengths weren't really visible in the series, and maybe that's perhaps because Australia's bowling attack, in particular, is so well balanced, and Pakistan's selections at times were a bit odd. So in the first test, when Fahim wasn't available. They almost they panicked so much that they prepared a dead pitch. But in the third test, they willingly dropped Fahim Ashraf, even when even though they saw Australia, they hadn't tinkered with the balance of their side. They dropped Josh Hazelwood instead of Cam Green. So I think some of some of those lessons that Pakistan should have learned earlier than they did um, may, ended up making a key different key difference. And yeah, so even in selection, I think Australia just tended to be a bit better than Pakistan, and in the end, were full value for that one nil win. Yeah, I was so disappointed and surprised that Fahim was dropped for the for the third test. I mean, it made sense to bring back Nasim, and you know how he did was inc- he did incredibly well. But yeah, I was I was really surprised myself. Um, Bharat, I think both of you have already mentioned a little bit of Babur innings uh, in the second test already. Um, you know, you both have written some incredible pieces about it. Um, maybe I'll have you go first. You know, what did you think about it, and you know, where does it rank for you? Oh, you know, especially when you're talking about uh, 2022, when we don't see so many uh, rear guard uh, efforts, uh, or it's not commonplace. I mean, we saw a lot more during the 90s and even maybe, uh, of course, before that. But, you know, I'm talking about the cricket I grew up on in the 90s and even the early 2000s, um, which also tells you that even though I spoke like someone who's been doing this the last 90 years, I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm just, I'm just very. I have a lot of wisdom as Danya, <laughs> so which I don't mind sharing at all, even if I'm not, even if I'm not asked about it. So yeah, but Danya, you can uh, send me your fees for that free journalism lesson I just gave you a while back. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I, like I said, so uh, you know, to see someone like Barber, like you talk about barbarism or you think about barbarism. The first thing that comes to mind is clips of his cover drive. And like, you know, if you're mm. one of those uh, people on social media, then the comparison between his cover drive and Virat Kohli's cover drive and all that. Um, <laughs> or like, you know, just the aesthetics of his batting. And which, understandably so as well. Even yesterday when he was batting, he played this uh, outstanding, like, you know, straight drive, punchy straight drive of a length ball. And mm. you can just watch that shot over and over again. And that's what comes to mind, like I said, when you think about Barbara Azam. Uh, but the amount of grit he showed on a pitch that did not, uh, you know, break up at all. Yes, uh, even though I was told by a, an elderly gentleman that everything breaks up in Karachi. Clearly not. <laughs> Maybe he was talking about his, uh, you know, something else in his, uh, in his life. But uh, you know, it um, didn't break up. Uh, and it was a hard, long grind. And the, the fact that he just kept coming... Uh, oh, back like you know coming back session after session hour after hour to just nullify the australians and they tried everything right they tried everything they could mm-hmm. of course the ball didn't reverse swing as much as it did in the first innings uh and you know and it, it does happen when even if it's an abrasive square square um if the batting team is not scoring too many runs and they're just defending so that basically also means the ball is not you know getting onto those part, parts of the square or the pitch Mm-hmm. often enough for it to get scuffed up so that wasn't happening um so yeah i mean it, it it they weren't like treacherous conditions where you had to really fight it out against uh what was happening off the pitch but like just the concentration and uh in the composure you need to bat for that long and he hasn't done that 
that often. And his issue over his career has been, um, you know, playing that uh, big knock, right? He, initially, it was getting to 100, and then it was getting to 150 and beyond. So it, it's a pity that he couldn't get to a double 100, but almost in a way poetic because now it means that he still has that target. So the next time he does go there, he knows he will want to go go to 200 and beyond, which is just inevitable. It will happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's right up there amongst the best, uh, uh, you know, rear guard, like, you know, match drawing, match saving knocks uh, I've seen uh, because it came against a very good bowling attack. Um, and also uh, because it came uh, at a time when, you know, the at the other end, like he had Rizwan, who I thought played uh, actually better innings, um, even though, you know, it will, it did get overshadowed by Barbara Azam's, uh, you know, brilliance over such a long period of time. Uh, but yeah, but I, I, you know, with such a youngish batting lineup, I thought Babar Azam held his own, and uh, yeah, no wonder he's considered as among the modern day greats. You just have to see that innings. Maybe even more this innings than some of his cover drive flips. Yeah, totally agree. And and Daniel, you've written on you know that innings. Obviously, every journalist who's covered it had to write on it. But you know, you you both wrote some incredible pieces about it. Um, do you think all the talk about the flat pitches and uh, you know Pakistan's eventual series loss in the you know in the next Test match will cloud the picture in terms of uh, you know us recognizing uh, what a monumental innings that was? Probably, uh, although I think I think only time will tell because um, sometimes the legacy of an innings is hard to sum up in the first few weeks after it's been played and you're still in the thick of the action. I still I, I sh- for for the moment I still feel that second Test will go down as the most famous test this series. But yeah, it's it, it's hard to say just it's hard to say just yet. Uh, the only thing I would say though is um I'm, I'm I don't want to sound, you know, iconoclastic or anything because I think this is fairly uncontroversial. I think I think most people, almost everyone, um, doesn't really know how to read a pitch. I think most of it is hindsight and the way um they watch a game unfold. So, you know, sometimes you say, oh, this is a good wicket, but then suddenly you see a ball stop and you start calling it a two-paced wicket. So sometimes that happens. And I think that can also happen with assessing a bowling performance. So I remember Babur after that 196 that day, someone asked him about how uh, was it easier because the the ball wasn't reverse swinging. And he said, no, no, the ball was definitely reverse swinging just as much as, as in the first innings. We just played better shots and we didn't give them wickets. And, you know, I mean, sometimes maybe, maybe there's a point to that to some extent. I... To the naked eye, I did think that maybe Australia looked slightly less potent, but it wasn't like the ball worse. I think Barber had to play at 95% of deliveries through that innings, which means that the Australians kept on targeting the stumps, kept on targeting that channel, folk stump, made him play. And he, this is a guy, by the way, who, ha- who before that innings averaged less than 22, I think, in the fourth innings. He's just not someone who's done this kind of thing. Just like you sometimes talk about how Nathan Lyon maybe hasn't run through an opposition on day five too much. Babar Azam hasn't really played that sort of innings in it's at fourth innings, um in the fourth innings where you know you you might think, oh he's going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. So I think it was not not only was it an exceptional innings, it was it was also an innings that Babur until then had no experience of playing. So the fact that he thought the ball was reverse swinging, he thought the conditions were difficult and the fact that they pulled out their draw and, you know, you you know all the stats about how this 171 overs, no side has ever batted that much, I think, since the timeless test to save uh, a, a draw, in the, to get a draw in the fourth innings. So I think I, I think over the long run, that will be the test that is the defining one of the series, um, which is only fair because that doesn't take away from Australia. Australia dominated that test and, you know, maybe if they'd won it, no one would have complained. 
but yeah, for Pakistan and for Babar Azam, I think he might look back on at that test as something of a cornerstone in terms of his test career. Mm-hmm. Um, staying with world-class batsman Bharat, uh, you know, I find it kind of funny that Labushan didn't have exactly, you know, his best series, but he was still often at the forefront of the action and certainly, you know, a central protagonist for the cameras. Um, you interviewed him before the series began, uh, from what I remember, and, uh, you know, have a thing for stalking the nets, uh, you know, tell us about Marnus. Oh, um, he's a, uh... Like they say, he's a different cat. He is uh, his own man. He's, uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, you know, initially when he came in, came onto the scene or burst onto the scene, uh, people weren't sure how to how to judge him. And I remember writing a piece back then. Like, I think we all have had friends like Manas Labushain, you know, where <laughs> they are a little over the top. Uh, they do uh, like the attention. Uh, they do talk a lot. They do, like, you know, uh, uh, have that extra energy. And I can relate with it. It's generally me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, from a very early, uh, and Daniel will tell you uh, in the press box, uh, uh, unless someone else is talking cricket, I run away. But otherwise, uh, you know, that is, that's always been <laughs> me. So, no, but uh, not that I'm comparing my batting with Manas's batting. But he is, he is a cricket man. I mean, whatever you see, and people have learned to realize that in Australia as well. Initially, everything was about or him aping Steve Smith. But if you actually break down Manas's game, his game is much simpler than uh, Steve Smith. Steve Smith's a genius. That's why he gets away with um, you know, all his uh, idiosyncrasies and his very uh, unique techniques or strange techniques uh, to batting. But with Manas, it's, uh, and in that same piece, I remember 2019, I said uh, Steve Smith might be the greater role model, uh, but Manas is an easier role model to have purely hmm. as a batter. Like, you know, it's it's easy to do what he does. It's just repetitive. It's simple. His head, mm-hmm. he, his body stays very still. Um, his front foot doesn't move too too far. I mean, his back foot doesn't move too far across. His front foot doesn't move too far in front. He just stays still. Like, stillness is the greatest strength of his batting. Uh, and that has never changed. But his personality, yeah. I mean, uh, I remember uh, doing an interview three years ago when I asked him about that. Like, you know, if you look back at his life, he moved to Australia as a 10-year-old. So he wasn't like very young when he moved that, 10 or 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So he could barely speak the language. And he's just naturally an attention seeker. So imagine how, how <laughs> much he would have had to do to just fit in. And he accepted. He said, yeah, you know, I, I was over the top. And maybe at that time, I was even, even more over the top. And that's just his personality. And hmm. right now, I think uh, he's fit in uh, perfectly within the Australian team. You speak to anyone in that team and they all love having him around. Because uh, on a, on a, there have been days like uh, uh, there were during this tour and you want someone like Manus Labushain to just like, you know, lift everybody up but just being himself or, uh, you know, being the butt of everybody's jokes or, you know, just bring the stumps down like he did. Like, you know, he's pulled off some remarkable runouts in the series. Like, so you need someone like that. Um, and uh, having said that, I think he would personally be disappointed with how the series went. Like, uh, funnily enough, ever since he became number one in the test batting rankings, his uh, numbers have dropped. I think he averages 26 or something. And his average overall <laughs> has gone down from uh, six, six runs from around 63 to around 56 or something in test cricket, which is still really, really high. But, you know, mm-hmm. not... Not Bradmanesque as it used to be in the early days, or even Steve Smith Smithesque, if I can mm-hmm. say that. Um, so yeah, I mean, he would be disappointed not uh, uh, getting a hundred. Hey, I mean, 
in a way only people who were born in pakistan got 100 in this series uh, uh, so, <laughs> so <it took laughs> i think i remember you tweeted this yeah <laughs> yeah it took travis said in uh, you know in a one day game to kind of break that for this tour so uh, so he would be slightly disappointed with uh, not getting more runs uh, but again i think for what the everything else he brought to the side um, you know he i think he's grown even more as an integral member of the side uh, and you could see that even yesterday i mean he also i think he's also become the unofficial vice captain of the side even though it's steve smith you could see him uh, mm. during all three test matches always by pat cummins side always with a piece of advice even if cummins wasn't really looking to him for advice but like i said you know you can just sum it all up by saying that's just manas so uh, <laughs> no i think he's he's grown in stature in that sense uh, runs yeah he would have liked a little more maybe maybe if he could have converted that 90 to 100 uh, and like don't forget twice he was on a pair in karachi and lahore the run out mm. would haunt him because that was the flattest of all pitches to bat on <laughs> if you remember uh in karachi but he missed out on it uh, uh but yeah i mean overall he's look he's growing like you know in the next 12 months will really tell us more about manas labushain the batter but as a person i don't think he's ever going to change and i should say that you know i read your interview uh of manas uh, just before the series began and it was amazing um and uh, i will check out some of the earlier ones i didn't know that you interviewed him several times before as well um daniel what do you make of manas you know are you in the camp who thinks he's annoying and putting it on you know like what warren commented once or bitter english fans you know after the ashes um or are you with me that you know he's fabulously wacky and fun uh, alongside being a brilliant batter I, I I don't mind Manus. I mind Steve Smith. I cannot stand Steve Smith. Um, I he's he's a brilliant he's a brilliant actor. <laughs> he he's a brilliant actor, but he's the one. He's the bigger culprit for me. I actually enjoy watching both Manus back and just his general personality. But with Steve Smith, it's just uh, I I find nothing redeeming about him except for his numbers. I feel guilty about sometimes just reducing him down to those numbers because of course there's a story and a personality behind it. um but yeah it's just one that i've struggled to find in several years of watching steve smith back um so when people said that um labushain initially was imitating manas as bharat rightly points out that probably wasn't true in the way that people said it was um he's just he's just someone who i also find interesting because we watched him he made his debut against pakistan um in the uae and around that time yeah and around that time he if i remember correctly he was he was billed as a legitimate spin option as well as being a batter and so when he didn't have when he didn't have the most amazing series i didn't think too much of it at the time at the time i didn't really see the signs that maybe were evident to people who had watched labushain more closely that he'd become this phenomenon that he has but then uh, the reason i find him so interesting is i think he's he's someone whose career almost changed not just overnight but immediately around that fifth day when jofra archer hit steve smith he sustained that really nasty blow and then labushain went out as the first sub replacement and almost had to be subbed out himself because he got hit a few overs later but then the steel that he showed that day i think almost to a lot of people just changed um the way they thought about manas labushain overnight and then he had that proper breakout series against pakistan it was a miserable series for pakistan down under and yeah he uh, that's around the time he rose to number 1 hasn't really looked back since i think now, now we we're at the stage where i think this series is just a bizarre aberration for him i think yeah he um he should he should get back to those heights that uh, 
that have characterized him for now more than two years. And yeah, like like I said, I have no problem with Manus Labuschagne. And yeah, um, I I I'd pay to watch him back well before I'd pay to watch Steve Smith back. Uh, moving on to Fawad Alam, Daniel, there, you know, there's been a lot of talk, most of which, you know, I find ridiculous that he has been quote unquote exposed to fast bowling and or reverse, reverse swing bowling. Um, now there's no doubt he didn't have a good series. I mean, I don't think anybody would say that, but you know, he must've faced serious reverse swing in domestic cricket throughout his career. And, you know, his, his career, domestic career is incredible, uh, his record. Um, and he's also played some excellent fast bowling in New Zealand and against South Africa at home uh, and did quite well. You know, where do you stand on Fawad Alam and uh, the narrative around him being quote unquote exposed? I, 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 the thing is, I feel slightly guilty about saying anything negative about Fawad Alam at this point, because all we've heard, and you know this, I think, better than I do, all we've heard over the past 10, 12, 13 years is what's wrong with Fawad Alam. We've heard mm-hmm. why, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I've, I've spoken to various Pakistan coaches, I've spoken to people who, to people like Miss Balhak, Mickey Yata, Grant Flair, and then, you know, I've, people before that. All they've told us is why Fawad Alam cannot be selected, why despite the hundreds he scored, despite the fact that I think at one point he had the third highest first class average across countries in history, um, and and when it seemed like it made sense for him to be included in the side, that he wasn't. Um, so now that he has had one bad series, it feels bad when all you want to say is, oh, this is what's wrong with him, that's what's wrong with him, and the people who are saying he shouldn't be selected are right. Because obviously, since since he came back, he has played a few innings that you don't just play by accident. I mean, once again, I, we, we can talk about that uh, uh, fifth day, fourth innings against New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand at New Zealand in New Zealand on the fourth day, on the fifth day, is 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 hard to do. And what he did, I don't think anyone can do if they aren't a quality batter. The only thing that I would say, and I think I've spoken to Bharat about this, and yeah, I think I think we we are on the same page there around this issue. What he hasn't probably faced is extreme pace and reverse swing. So reverse swing on its own, he might have faced, but the kind of pace that Pat Cummins and Mitch Stark can generate is not the kind that Trent Bolt or Tim Southey will because they are, they are pure swing bowlers and not out-and-out pace bowlers. And I, and sometimes I wonder, I, I don't pretend that I fully understand his technique or the technical deficiencies that might have hindered him here. But yeah, the fact that he um, had to face that extreme pace, that's the one thing that sometimes I think maybe he hasn't faced as much of as some of the other aspects of bowling where he's shown himself to be dominant against spin, against swing, against most fast bowlers. But Stark and Cummins maybe feel like they're, they're of a different breed to what he'll face. And so maybe it's no accident that those are the two he got out to over the series. But to say that his place in the side is under threat or that he's been exposed, I find quite unkind. And it's something that uh, I, I would never personally say. That's interesting. Uh, and and Bharat, I, wanted, I want your take on Fawad as well. Um, you know, on Twitter, there was a great split screen video someone put up of Stark clean bowling Rizwan and Fawad in the fourth innings uh, in that test match uh, in Lahore. Uh, you know, when I saw that, I thought, you know, two completely different techniques, same result, uh, you know. So what's your take on Fawad Alam and his technique? Um, look, I, I honestly don't find it very... Uh fascinating a lot of people get fascinated by the fact that he faces one direction before the ball runs in because it really doesn't matter where you're facing when the bowler is running in and i think i put out a split screen picture of uh, in karachi of where his head is at the point of uh, delivery 
it's very normal there's nothing really uh, like you know outrageous about it uh, i just uh, i have one comparison i think fawad alam is a lot like rory burns from england also has got like nearly 10000 uh, county runs and he's had so many successful county seasons just like fawad alam has but the only thing is and it's very simple it's just simple technique and i'm no international cricketer who will like tell you exactly why it didn't work out for him but it's just about how many moving parts he has right like with it, whether it's rory burns or fawad alam again it's not about where he's facing but the fact that he still has to move make more movements than amanus labushain or a mohammad rizwan or a babar azam have to to get into position get into that position it has worked for him yes but what happens when you have so many moving parts like with rory burns as well you can't say that the technique is flawed it he scored 10000 runs at first class level with it right uh, but when you have so many moving parts for you for it to work out for you everything has to go right like you know everything has to go right every time for you to be in a good position and then what happens when you have someone like stark bowling outstanding reverse swing it wasn't just good reverse swing it was outstanding reverse swing at a high speed and then cummins doing what only cummins can do getting uh, the ball to jump off uh, like you know these dead tracks um you will get exposed it happened to rory burns it happened to uh, it's happened to fawad alam and then what happens is uh, and that's why you'll find guys like this have great seasons so when everything's working right for them they get onto this runs where they'll score a lot of runs but once they start failing you'll see that they struggle like happened with, uh, and i saw a lot of rory burns in the net suddenly he was trying to change a lot of things right like because once you reach test level and you it, things are not working out for you then you start thinking about your place in the side right it's not first class i mean fawad alam is never going to be dropped from his first class team i mean rory burns is captain of surrey they're not going to leave him out suddenly at this stage of his career but test cricket is different right like you are competing with a lot more people and it's a higher level of cricket like you know that's just how it is so again rory burns has got runs everywhere he's got a ashes 100 fawad alam has scored runs in new zealand and against south africa but that's what happens when you have so many moving parts you're always taking that risk of things working out perfectly uh, and everything being like you know it's about timing right everything being right at the same time and, and what happens pace exposes you right like like i said earlier so you might just be half a second slower getting into position and that's why he was rushed every time stark got rid of him he was rushed like you know he was beaten by pace and when you're beaten by pace that means that you're not getting into position quick enough which is always going to be a challenge for someone uh, who has you know so many moments to make before he gets into position so i'm not surprised i remember sitting next to uh, um, a wonderful young journalist from dawn uh, the newspaper shabar and i remember us him uh, fawad alam walking out in karachi when stark had just bowled that uh, hooping delivery to azhar ali and got him out and he he was really moving it at that point and we literally called it first ball like in swinging yorker i mean I didn't know how Fawad Alam is going to cope with it, but I was not surprised when he was knocked over because he was just late on the ball. So that's what it is. Doesn't make him a bad batter. Doesn't make Rory Burns a bad batter. But the fact is, I mean, it's it's a risk you're willing to take. So there is some logic, you know. I know it's easy to write about these things and tweet about these things, but like you know, people who pick teams, I'm sure know some of these things. The reason he hasn't been picked for so long. and i'm no expert on pakistan domestic cricket but it, it if you're an azhar ali compared to a fawad alam i would always pick an azhar ali ahead of a fawad alam regardless of how many runs he scores he might be successful like he has in the last two years i'm talking you're talking about someone who made it to the icc test team of for last year 
but he had never faced Stark and Cummins. And against Stark and Cummins, he looked very much out of depth. I, I wanted to say something about this before we move on quickly. Go, go ahead. Yeah, the only thing I would say is, um, yeah, so I agree with most of what uh, Parath was saying there. The only thing I would say is, it's 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 not perhaps it's 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 not a bad gamble to have a technique that works against pretty much everything except extreme base if you're from Pakistan. So, for example, most players, even with techniques that are more orthodox than Fawad Alam, will struggle against Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins. So, I wouldn't say the fact that he's because Mitch Stark and Pat Cummins are fast and they're really really good. So, most batters, regardless of their technique, will find coping with them a challenge. And I think. Just the fact that he struggled against those two, perhaps on its own, shouldn't mean that he if immediately gets ruled out of the next series Pakistan play. Because in Pakistan, as you know, you're only as good as the previous series, not the previous ten years. So I think that's mm-hmm. the one. That's the one thing that I think Pakistan maybe should look out for. For example, Pakistan plays Sri Lanka next away. He should obviously be a shoe in for that series because you're not going to face the kind of bowlers bowling that you faced against Australia. So sometimes yes. Certain techniques work better against certain oppositions, and I think Pakistan maybe should begin to get a little smarter about how they pick those players and not to view weaknesses in a particular series as indictments of the players' complete game altogether. And that's I think where sometimes in Pakistan, Fawad Alam has been at the receiving end of a raw deal. So yeah, I just I just want to wait and see what happens with the next couple of series. And, and, and sorry, if I, and I completely agree with Daniel. Like like we said, uh, he doesn't really make him a bad batter or not him not being good enough for test cricket because he is. He averages over 40 and he's had a dream here. Yeah. And, and it happens to guys with very good techniques as well. Like, you know, uh, uh, take uh, someone like a BJ Watling, right? Like, you know, nothing complex about his technique. He scores a lot of runs in New Zealand, scored runs in England. But it would always get found out in Australia with that extra bounce, right? Like, you know, with where he plays the ball, where he makes contact with the ball. Uh, and you see a lot of like subcontinent batters as well. Like, you know, they, they would get caught in the in when they play on Australian pitches where the ball takes the, the slice of their bat. Like, you know, the edge, outside edge, but pretty high up on their bat. That's because where they hold the bat and where they try to make contact with the bat and what they're used to. So these things will happen. I mean, it's the same as us talking about an Australian Travis Head not getting or pushing on, right? Like, it's a different. His technique's fine. But in the test series, when he had to push on, he just couldn't. Like, you know, that's, it takes a different kind of level of concentration and composure to score runs in the subcontinent. It's all this, It's all part of it. But all I'm saying is, it's. I wasn't surprised that he didn't get runs against Australia. Does that mean he's going to uh, not score against Sri Lanka? Uh, absolutely not. Maybe he'll have another dream series against them. So... It's worked for them, but that's what it's always a risk you take with a technique like that, right? And again, it's it's not about again, it's not about him facing like whether it's your bum facing the bowler or whether it's your toe facing the bowler. It's if it's very simple, like you, you can use that analogy in anything else you do in life as well, right? If you stand still, things are easier. If you are someone who moves around a lot, it it you know at times everything needs to work out for you. It's just mm-hmm. as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I also think like it's it's four innings. You know, uh, it's a small sample size. Uh, you know, it may just be that he's in bad form as well because, you know, um, and maybe somebody with this technique looks much more, much more, much worse and you know, hapless compared to somebody who's got a much prettier technique, perhaps. Um, 
getting to the spin department uh, help me out here daniel you know what is going on uh, do we just have to accept the fact that we are lacking in that department or should we bring back yasir shah try out the likes of zahid mahmood or zafar gohar or perhaps even convert shadab into a test all-rounder <laughs> um yeah that's the thing so pakistan in pakistan sometimes it's hard to accept that what pakistan has in the spin department isn't enough and that's what it's mm-hmm. like this series because you can you can talk about those other selections you can talk about zafar gohar zahid mahmood shadab but you can't get away from the fact that the two spinners that they picked the series were the best performing two spinners in domestic cricket in pakistan for the past 3 years in the qaida azam trophy mm-hmm. 2020 21 Sajid Mahmood was the highest wicket taker. Noman Ali was number. Uh, Noman was number two. And yes, at international cricket, they look woefully off the mark sometimes. And Australia made them look pretty poor. I think it helped them that people like, uh, well, Labuschagne didn't have a great series, but Labuschagne and Usman Khawaja in particular are fantastic players of spin. But that's the thing. Sometimes what you have at domestic in domestic cricket is just not going to be up to. up to scratch in international cricket you look at england for example some of the fast bowlers that they picked uh, to go to the west indies they're the best performing players in the county championship but when it comes to international cricket it's just a different kind of sport almost in domestic cricket sometimes in in england for example you there's a risk to bowling too fast because even if you're bowling below 85 miles an hour the ball will move around seem enough for you to take wickets whereas if you try and go harder you might concede a lot more runs be less accurate it doesn't work in international mm-hmm. cricket like that in pakistan in the same way what sajid does is be safe almost so he'll spin the ball he's good at spinning the ball but the thing is it spins so slowly at time off the surface that an international batter will always look like he look like he has a lot of time against him i think david warner played off the back foot against him so often even when he kept bowling the ball fuller and fuller and you can't do that mm-hmm. against a quality off spinner who drips it in a way where it picks up pace off the surface and then spins quickly spins at pace in domestic cricket you might be able to get away with that but yeah uh, that's that's the other issue so maybe pakistan might have to look at the pitches they prepare for domestic cricket the intensity the quality of the cricket the, the cricketers that they have to face because what they face at international level it doesn't look like what their best is going to be good enough against them that's that's basically my take on pakistan spinners Mm-hmm. Bharat, I'm I'm curious about your take on Pakistani spinners as well, but um, I also want to ask you about you know very quickly about the Aussie bowling attack. Uh, you know, if you include Hazelwood, um, you know this must be one of the best Aussie attacks uh, in their history, no? Oh yeah, very much so. And you've forgotten to talk about uh, or mention the greatest fast bowler the world has ever seen at the moment, which is Scott Boland. Uh, statistically speaking, <laughs> so we don't know. I think he had a great tour. Like you know, the chances are his numbers would have been in. disturbed a little like if he had played even a single test here yeah. as you would expect it to but who knows with scott bowling like you know it's uh, great ashes remarkable. yeah it's been remarkable like i've seen a lot of him in shield cricket and uh, i don't think even he would have believed like you know that if he was told this is what his test numbers would look at look like you know or <laughs> for that matter that he would play test cricket you know it's been he's been a uh, one of those tireless uh, workhorses for so many years but yeah i mean this australia is really spoiled right now in terms of uh, in terms of fast bowling talent because you look at the guys we just saw here stark and cummins and hazelwood who arguably is their best all format bowler has become a genuine match winner in t20 cricket for him to be left out 
because Pat Cummins is captain, uh, tells you just, uh, you know, everything you need to know about their pace attack. Uh, and like I said, there's Boland, there's my man, Michael Nisa, hashtag Nisa must play. Uh, 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 and, and there are a lot of other guys. Uh, Richardson as well, right? Uh, Jai Richardson, of course. And there are a lot of other, you know, younger names coming through the ranks as well. If you look around, uh, you know, New South Wales and Victorian cricket, especially, and in a couple in WA. Um, uh, so, and Mark Steckety, who was on this too, like uh, similar to Neeser and Scott Boland. They've been around for a while. They take a lot of uh, domestics, shield wickets, uh, mm-hmm. and each has uh, his own different skills. So, I'm, I'm sure we'll see Steckety playing test cricket very soon as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, spin is a problem though. Uh, like you spoke about Pakistan spin department. Australia's is literally uh, semi-vacant at the moment. There are a few youngsters coming through the ranks. There's Tanvir Sangha, who's uh, been... Uh, was accompanying the Australian T20 one-day side last year, but didn't get, didn't play a single game. But he's started well in first-class cricket uh, for New South Wales. There's a, a young Todd Murphy who I saw make his debut a few months ago. Plays for Victoria. Looks like Harry Potter. Uh, he's, been, <laughs> he's been doing all right. But Matt Kuhneman, yeah, I mean, he's been around a while. He took a few wickets for Queensland. But there isn't anyone really um, banging the door down, right? So, Swepson... Was but now we've seen what Swepson can deliver uh, in these two test matches. So he still has a long way, uh, you would think. Yeah, I mean he was unfortunate at times, catches were dropped and all that. But still, to go literally 80 overs without taking a wicket in the subcontinent for any spinner, um, you know, can't be a great vote of confidence. So uh, and Ashton Agar is in and out of uh, Australia's test plans depending on where they're going. So Australia does have a spin issue, um, and yeah, I mean, if, if, in, but. When, when you see overall bowling attack, if Nathan Lyon is firing the way he is, and I thought he really changed his approach to bowling in the subcontinent or on this tour, uh, the latter half of his uh, uh, spell in the first innings, he started bowling much slower. He started bowling a more attacking line outside off stump. He liked having a silly point. I think that really changed uh, uh, his whole rhythm and his whole uh, you know mindset uh, for the series. And no surprises there that he did get the five-wicket haul in the end to win Australia as a series. So, that's a great, uh, you know, tick for him that he still has it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, fast bowling-wise, Australia just, uh, yeah, I mean, they you, you can pick fast bowling attacks based on whatever condition there exists in the world right now. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think overall, maybe alongside India, uh, they ha- they seem to have that kind of Good quality. Point. And maybe New Zealand as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. New Zealand is up there as well. Yeah, but yeah those three attacks. Yeah, spin bowler. I I don't follow Pakistan domestic cricket uh, enough, but I have seen uh, quite a bit of the last two one-day semi-finals that they've been showing on TV here. So that's good. I was surprised to see a lot of uh, blasts from the past, like Emma Shehzad and Umar <laughs> on, on my TV yesterday or day before. But uh, uh, yeah, look, look, I thought Sajid Khan had a lot of energy. Uh, you know, I liked him as a cricketer, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think Daniel will agree. He looks a little like Sid Monga as well. Uh, I don't think Sid Monga will be very appreciative of that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, but yeah, you didn't look at them and expect them to run through this Australian side. Maybe no. they could have played the leg spinner, who we saw briefly yesterday in the one day. But uh, uh, yeah, there does seem to be be a problem. Like, I mean, if they were dropping someone with Yasir Shah's experience, uh, and then these are the guys they're saying can win us test matches. Yes, they have won two test matches in Bangladesh and all that. But uh, I don't know. It, it does seem a little surprising to me that uh, 
uh, we didn't see a bigger um, impact from the Pakistani spinners in the series. Funny, Daniel, you know, do you think Pakistan will stick um, with largely the same team in the upcoming tours uh, in the test matches or do you see them panicking and, you know, changing a lot? Um, I've long given up predicting Pakistan selections because they're just so wild. <laughs> the, the, the policies just oscillate so wildly. So I remember when Misbah was in charge at one point. So the, the first tour, I think Omar Akbal and Emma Chazad came in. And the next tour in Australia, Pakistan suddenly had Musa, Naseem and uh, Shaheen, I think, in one of the youngest base attacks we've ever seen, which is odd. But that's the thing with Pakistan. You, can never, you never can say. It's just that now that their next tour is Sri Lanka... I like I was mentioning with Fawad. I hope they don't panic too much because the kind of, especially the kind of bat- batters they have, um, are fairly uh, should be fairly well suited to what Sri Lanka will throw against them. So they're decent players of spin. They won't expect any extreme pace. Azhar Ali, Fawad, Babur, even the openers, they should be fine with that. Maybe I, I, I'm still not convinced by. It sounds churlish now, but I'm still not convinced by Imam as opener. I, I still feel maybe Sean's been unlucky to miss out. But now that Imam's got a few runs, I, I don't see that changing. Um, it's just the bowling, really. The, um, there's, there's, still, there's still a bit of a cloud around whether Yasser Shah really can compete or Pakistan want him to. As I, 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 think, I, think his, I think his peak years are gone. I think they coincided with Pakistan's halcyon days in the UAE, basically. So in that sense, he was fortunate to have, have a career like the one he's had. But now he's doing quite well in the Pakistan Cup, and the way Pakistan, the way more Pakistan select players sometimes, you might see him back in against all odds. But other than that, no, I don't really think there'll be too many changes. Um, hopefully, Hassan Ali can regain his form. He's been lacking form confidence to the point where you almost feel like he needs a rest some, at some point. Um, that tour might be that tour might be the time to give him that rest. But other than that, no, I, especially the batters. And even the spinners, just because there aren't too many options, I don't expect too many changes just in the in the short term. I I I, I really can't say beyond one more series. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, Bharat, for you, what's uh, what's on the food itinerary for the rest of uh, this tour? Uh, interesting. You should bring that up. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I was just reading up about uh, Lakshmi Chowk. Uh, uh, someone recommended that I go there for some. Uh, Tuk uh, takatak or takatak, which is basically uh, goat brains and balls. I mean, no better combination to eat than for <laughs> balls and brains, I guess. Uh, but uh, and I was just reading about Lakshmi Chowk, and it seems like a fascinating place where, uh, with a lot of history. I'm going to quiz Daniel on it later, uh, mm-hmm. but apparently that's where uh, uh, the film industry began in the Indian subcontinent and. Uh, you know, some names that I haven't heard since my history books uh, uh, had as quite an impact in, in, in that place. And uh, so, and I was told that that uh, place makes the best takatak. So uh, good luck to me and my, and my guts. We started with my guts, we finished with my guts. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we don't reach my bowels yet, but yeah, so that, that's the hope. So that's uh, next on my menu, maybe in the next couple of hours. Uh, but post that, well, you know, I'm still waiting for that official invite to Daniel's place, uh, uh, where it's just about me. The focus is on me, uh, and not like you know me as the token guy who goes around with the Australian media taking pictures of them with any everybody else who wants selfies with them. <laughs> Daniel seems like uh, you know what to do. Um, thank you so much uh, to both of you for giving me so much of your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Daniel and Bharat. I really appreciate it. No, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed myself.
Uh, thanks. I mean, I'm sure Daniel enjoyed himself in our company. So, no, no, thank you so much for uh, having us both on. And honestly, I, I will be honest. I will take your uh, show and use this as a platform to say uh, meeting Daniel has been one of the highlights of my tour. I've read his work before. Uh, I Yeah, I never followed him on social media. Uh, but meeting the real yeah, person, it has that. been so- a treat. So a few days, a few days before Australia were due to tour, I saw, oh, Parut's following me on social media now. I feel like this is where I've really made it on Twitter. <laughs> well, well, he's still not have. following me, so I'm just going to point that out very cheekily. Oh, okay, fine. No, no, no. I will, I will. I'm a, I'm a very I'm social, kid. social media person, so. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. No, no worries. No worries. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dikobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.